0: guys welcome to rank and vile the podcast where we attempt to rank every single horror movie ever and this is ryan and this is quincy how's it going quincy how's are we going i got a dog fucking huzzah all right so uh, holy shit what kind of a dog what's the dog's name what's the dog's blood type give us every possible detail about this dog
1: so she's she's the dirt fucking worst ryan she's a (laughs) two-year-old chihuahua yes uh with a deer head not an apple head so <laughs> oh my god i don't know if you know much about chihuahuas but there's two standards of the breed you have the ones with the weird little bean heads called <laughs> apple head chihuahuas they're uh-huh. i guess the term is brachiocephalic they got the short pug noses okay and then you have what's called a deer head chihuahua which is like an, a, an actual hound snoot More like the, uh, and this is going to show my age, the Yokiro Taco Bell Chihuahua. Oh,
0: that's, I honestly, whenever I picture a Chihuahua, I instantly think of Gidget, the Taco Bell Chihuahua, myself, so. The fact that you know that the dog's name is Gidget. I I knew when Gidget had died because it popped up in the news, and I was like, no, because I used to have an actual poster with the Taco Bell Chihuahua on it trying to lure Godzilla from 1998 Godzilla under a box with a stick. Did you ever get
1: the 1998 Godzilla-sized soda from Taco Bell?
0: Oh my god, the thing that had to come with its own special cup holder... The own special cup holder
1: molded to look like 1998's Godzilla that you (laughs) clipped onto the side of your car
0: a la a fucking Brontosaurus burger from the Flintstones. (laughs) And that's pretty, yeah, and when the other cars see you with a 1998 Godzilla on the side of your car, that's promotional tactics, baby. And it's, yeah, honestly, 1998 was a fucking hell dimension. But, all right, so your dog. So she has a long snoot. She's got she's got a
1: long snoot and she puts it to work hunting what I can only presume is uh, ghost cats and the <laughs> Mothman in my neighborhood because yeah. she takes me on these Louisiana swamp esque we're gonna find that convict follow the
0: scent and then it just like freeze frames on you and your dog hopping over a log while and then it like freeze frames and Waylon Jennings comes in to like. Give us a narration about how you've gotten yourselves into a pickle.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, that's so. That's what I've been doing with most of my time. Uh, but I've also been watching black exploitation.
0: Holy shit! So which which black Blaxploit- So I just watched uh, so on Shudder, one of our sponsors. Hi guys, um, on Shudder, they've got the uh, documentary horror noir, and it's really really good. And they talk about sort of um, black exploitation movies in the seventies and kind of how they were pumped out and how they like sort of gained weird cultural prominence. Like which, which black exploitation movies have you been watching?
1: So Mill Creek entertainment sent me a copy of soul team six, which is six black exploitation movies, uh, just on a, on a two disc set. And I've been watching the black Gestapo. Okay. The, which I... is in, in the harsh light of 2019, not as fun as it probably was when it came out in 1975.
0: Hachi machi. So wait. so this, It's
1: about it... a um, Black Panther analog. Because they're never willing to say these are the Black Panthers. But they're a paramilitary right. uh, community organization of black men trying to... They're detoxing heroin addicts. They are speaking in public. They have started a free breakfast program. Mm-hmm. But... The, uh, white mobsters, uh, who, one of them, I swear to God, is named Giovanni, and the other one is named, (laughs) like, you know, Rico or Tony or something like that, and they're both blonde with mustaches, like, Mm -hmm. 1975-ass leisure suits and mustaches, Mm -hmm. um, start collecting debts and, like, forcing, uh, gambling onto these small African-American communities, so... This one guy is so disillusioned that he radicalizes and starts a violent black Gestapo.
0: And they call it that? That's the...
1: And they actually show archival footage of Nazis and Hitler over the title credits. Because he's standing there while they're giving their speech about you know, self-respect and self-defense. And he's imagining like, what would it be like? And he's like fantasizing about goose stepping and like crushing, you know, honkies.
0: Aye, aye, aye. You, yeah, you know, uh, you know what the Black Panthers who, uh, you know, had, had uh, programs like Free Breakfast for Children, uh, you know what they were really a lot like, says the say the filmmakers, the Nazis probably. Probably it's like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a, it's, it's exploitation through and through because what gets people into seats? <laughs> Nazi.
0: I mean, that's the I thing. mean, is, this is
1: from the same time period as Ilsa of the SS. Oh, so, yeah. Like, I mean, that's the thing. Everybody thing is, said, goes to see Nazi movies.
0: Yeah. I mean, you said it was a movie called Black Gestapo and instantly my ears perked up like a border collie. Like, what the fuck? What? Um, so... Uh, how, how was Black Gestapo?
1: So the martial arts choreography is shockingly good. Excellent. But I feel like other than that, it is curdled. It is aged like milk, my friend. It is curdled garbage.
0: Yeah, that's, I feel like, uh, you know, if you nail the fight choreography, I mean, that's exploitation movies with bad fight choreography. I have no time for, like, you have to nail at least that one thing. Oof. So what
1: have you been up to? What kind of ghoul shit have you been dipping your toes in?
0: Oh, boy. So the ghoul shit that I've been dipping my toes into, um, I have been uh, online sort of... So this is not... I don't know if this is proper ghoul shit. I've been sort of doing a deep dive on stuff that I watched when I was a kid uh, growing up uh, as a, uh, a non-denominational super church Christian. Um, and it's... Uh, so I, we, we've on, on this podcast before, we've talked about recording artist Carmen... Yes. Yeah. Um the yeah, the scourge that is Carmen. Um
1: uh some say scourge,
0: some say Latter-day saint. Blessed baby angel of the Lord, Carmen Letcherdello. Um but so we've I, I found he, uh, he fought a witch in one. <laughs> Look, he fought a witch, he shot Satan in a western. He beat he beat up Satan in a boxing match. Like this guy I've so I I've, I've done a deep dive. There is on YouTube uh, in a, in four parts, like not even in a full video. Uh, he made a movie in the '90s called *Riot*, uh, which stands, of course, for Righteous Invasion of Truth. Um, and he he plays like a he plays like a Chicago cop who it just beats the shit out of gang members the entire movie. And also Jesus is in the mix there somewhere. Like he sort of uh, he beats up a gang member and then he's like, oh, I gotta get out of this city. There's too there's too much crime going on. And then the gang finds its way to this small town that he and his family move to. For some reason, there's a love interest who's a teacher at a local school. Uh, there's a Christian, like heavy metal guy ministry where it's like a bunch of fucking you know hard looking dirtbag guys sort of worshiping Jesus. And
1: it's do they rip a phone book in half? Please tell me they rip a phone book. In half.
0: <laughs> no, they're not power teams, so they can fucking yeah, they can they can suck it. Um, I it's holy shit if if you if you have like an hour of your life to spare, you totally an hour <laughs> I mean yeah, it's it was this was on like direct to video like my family we we uh, I went to a Carmen concert as a small child during this tour and we got one of these VHSs of this like movie that Carmen made. This was not the only movie recording artist, contemporary Christian uh, music singer, Carmen has made. He made a thing called The Champion, where he's a boxer. He's got a weird boner for hurting people, does Carmen. Um, It's so that's, but I disappeared down down that hole. And also I've I've, um, been rewatching a bit of uh, VeggieTales to sort of go, I I remember loving this as a kid. Was this actually good? Yes, it was. Actually, wow, veggie- it's, veggie-
1: it's interesting to hear because I've also been wondering
0: mm-hmm. about
1: if Veggie Tales holds up, <laughs> and uh, it's good to hear that some things in this this uh, world are evergreen
0: <laughs> in this in this fallen world. So I've been doing that, and then also uh, I've, I'm I'm just finally finishing uh, Small Sacrifices by Enroll, which was about Diane Downs murdering three of her children, um, or attempting yeah. to murder them. Yeah, and I, I think w- one of the amazing things about Ann Rule's writing is that I wish that every true crime dude could take a leaf from her book where, like, she never comes off like an asshole talking about real people's lives. You know what I mean? Yeah, she's
1: never, like, a voyeuristic ghoul. Like, isn't this fucked up?
0: No, yeah. And I I think that that distinction is so important for me with true crime. Like, I think right now uh, there's... So I don't listen to enough podcasts, but one of the the podcasts that I um, routinely actually do listen to is Case File, which is this Australian fella... Um, there's this podcast I love called Case File, which is, uh, this Australian fellow, I forget his name, um, he's got a very soothing voice, and basically he just gives sort of very reasonable, uh, accounts of Australian crime, but then also because it's a sponsored podcast and it's true crime, always he's like, you know, having a website can be hard, that's why Squarespace, and they always transition into doing that from talking about grisly murder, and it, I, I think it's my favorite thing about true crime podcasts. So speaking of
1: true crime, I uh, picked up a very bad true crime book, which I'm not going to plug on this show, oh, very but good. it was about killer cults. Uh, okay. It was, it's called cults that kill, uh, but anyway, very good.
0: but not, but, but not my life with the thrill kill cult.
1: No, no, it's, it's, there's a chapter oh. on Santa Muerte, but I thought, why am I reading a bad book about Santa Muerte when I have been trained with, you know, a higher education degree to just do my own research so i found desiree a martin's borderlands saints which has a very extensive academic discourse on santa muerte oh wow and uh i've been really nerding out about that and also apparently a santa muerte cult is in my home is in my town and they failed to kill someone last year in a in a santa muerte
0: ritual no shit. Wait, how did they fail to kill them? Did, did they just escape?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, any <laughs> if you fail to kill someone, it means you didn't kill them.
0: That's that is so. true. I, I'm, just, I'm wondering if it was like we we stabbed them and they were like, ah oh, man, and then we were like, well, now I feel bad and I can't fit. Uh, all right, just go home, go home. I'm sorry. I thought we I thought it was gonna be a thing, and it, it's fine. It's just go home. Listen,
1: because of our you know you know how before we started recording, I was talking about our journalistic integrity. Oh sure, uh, I have not. I've not corroborated this at all. It is just—it is literally hearsay. Someone said, <laughs> "I was talking about Santa Muerte." Someone said, "Yeah, like that, Colton, Clarksville." And then I was like, "I'm going to talk about that with full authority." Holy
0: shit! I honestly posted like, on the internet. There's like a weird amount of murder in Clarksville. I feel like, oh, we're very murdery. It's yeah. There's 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 a lot of murder going on in Clarksville. Um, so let's talk about uh, the first movie we got uh, this week. Uh, Which is, uh, it was a a screener provided by RLJE Films, and it's called Dead Sight. Yeah, Uh, so this is a zombie movie,
1: mm -hmm. but the hook, because you can't just have a regular zombie movie in 2019, is that there's a guy that's blind, and he has to rely on a pregnant police officer, because, you know, women police officers can't function can't do their job if they're pregnant
0: right I, I think I think the idea is is meant to be that uh sort of they're they're uh, making up for each other's physical limitations right now because he can't see but I guess probably can lift at least 50 pounds above his waist or whatever and she's a highly he can trained... lift a
1: jug like what would have been more compelling if it was like a post cesarean police officer? <laughs> Yeah, Because then she would literally have, like, a, well, I can't lift this. Like, what's so fucking preposterous about this is that Mm -hmm. any woman who has, like, physical fitness can have the... There's no restriction on physical activity as long as it's the same amount that your body is used to. So, like, you know, I know pregnant women that run marathons because they're runners. And, like, it's no fucking big deal until the final, like trimester and then then yeah. it helps them give birth because it jostles the baby out and the baby like gets a hint and, and
0: listen mar- marathons are good for two seats. things Marath- marathons are good for two things uh conditioning your calves and popping out a baby it just it jostles the baby around it's good for it's loosening the jar i guess
1: yeah exactly it's like running <laughs> the baby under a hot tap. <laughs>
0: It just you know slides right out right after you a marathon.
1: Can, I mean, if you think about it, when they pop the amniotic fluid, that's like putting a, a butter knife under the lid. Like oh, it is. Yeah, a you're little because br- it's like a little crochet hook, and they come in there and they pop the bag of water, and that makes the baby come out sometimes.
0: Oh yeah, they're they're breaking the seal, I guess. Well, you know, actually, I we started out uh, making a goof about that, but no, actually, I, I stand by. Uh, marathons are like uh, babies are like jars. <laughs> <laughs> Primarily like jars. Um, Send
1: all of your complaints and tweets to <laughs> rank and rank at
0: Um But yeah, like that's like, like I so what the idea is that, you know, listen, he can't see very far, but he can conceivably lift like a cooler of Gatorade up to his waist, and she's a crack shot but has a living human baby inside her. It's very um, dumb.
1: It's a very dumb premise.
0: So uh, I actually, I, so I got to interview the director of Dead Sight, uh, Jesse Thomas Cook, who, uh, he was the guy who uh, did uh, Monster Brawl uh, with uh, Kevin Nash, oddly enough. So good for him. Um, and I got to talk to him about the fact that, like, I like the fact that, uh there's an interdependence between the characters in Dead Sight, where, like, I feel like the zombie apocalypse uh, narrative has been sort of hijacked by libertarians, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's a very, like, you gotta be prepared. hmm and it's always, I feel like uh, there's a certain uh, sort of a fella who uh, gets into zombie stuff because they are absolutely convinced that, you know, if the shit hit the fan and everybody gets turned into a, a shambling corpse, that they're like, listen, everybody's gonna want to come and hang out with me in my bunker because I'm a big, rugged, cool guy who can shoot a rifle and has several cans of meat. Like, and, listen, and there's the
1: fact that they make um, zombie paper targets for for shooting ranges, and that they make zombie ammunition, which is hollow point ammunition with green paint, so that. You know, you're shooting real bullets, but when they hit your targets, it looks like zo- you shot a zombie. Well,
0: that, like, is, that is just whimsical that that as is, hell.
1: That is a real fucking product you can buy on the hellscape that is our capitalist marketplace. The fact that that exists really shows that that's the, like, target demo for zombies. And least, the sheer yeah. amount of people that put, like... Zombie response unit, follow me, and crisis kind of shit on their car.
0: Yeah, I oh, Jesus Christ, and I, I feel like we reached like uh, for me anyway, like peak zombie density was reached in like two thousand eleven ish, where I was, I just, I'm, I, I was sick of zombie things because I, I mean, yeah, like we all sort of read the zombie survival guidebook and then World War Z, both by Max Brooks, and so I like the, I, I, I like the idea. Of moving the narrative away from like rugged individualism, where everybody is convinced that they would because listen here's the thing, if uh, the shit hits the fan and the zombie apocalypse is on, I would die pretty much immediately.
1: Oh yeah, um, I, I'm about to put a ban on the phrase "the shit hits the fan" because it makes me want to throw up in my mouth a little bit, but <laughs> right for sure I would die immediately.
0: Yeah, I no that's I what would happen. Here's exactly what would happen. I would turn on the news, see that zombies were happening, uh, run outside, and then instantly trip down the stairs, fall, and break my neck, and it would have nothing to do with zombies. I would get so panicky. Yeah. So in that sense,
1: two inept goobers wandering around the zombie apocalypse, (laughs) just kind of, it's basically, for the first 30 minutes of the movie, it's like an extended Mr. Magoo with zombies.
0: (laughs) Uh, Do you ever play Earthworm Jim? This is yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. This is the Peter Puppy uh, level of Earthworm Jim, where there's like a small puppy blithering across. Uh, it's like a side scroller, and you've got to like clear everything out of his way and make sure he doesn't fall to his death or whatever. Um, so Quincy, what you're saying? So two goobers trying to survive in the in the zombie uh, wasteland. Are you saying that this this episode is like a backdoor pilot for both of us seeing if we can pull off survivalism?
1: Basically, yeah. We will die immediately. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Listen, the survivor man hunted Bigfoot. I think we should do (laughs) us hunting Mothman. No, that would, that would end horribly
0: wrong. Oh, oh, we would. Yeah. Well, and you know what it is also? I, you're, you're the, the smart one who actually, uh, sort of doesn't do devil shit. Like you, you eschew devil shit given the opportunity. And yeah,
1: I, I went to a friend's house the other night and they had a Ouija board and I was like, no, thank you.
0: Yeah, no, because you, you know what side of the fucking bread your butter's on. You know who you are. You don't have anything to prove. Um, and I am a moron who I absolutely, I'm that guy in like Amityville horror going like, no, oh, but this is a great new start for our family because I just I get excited anytime I'm in a hotel or something that I find out is allegedly haunted. Um, I'm going to get eaten by ghosts. Oh, For sure. So, so what do you
1: think of Dead Sight? Is it a good film?
0: Hmm. I don't... I, Alright, so here's the thing. Uh, I think Dead Sight is not a good film, but it's an interesting film. Uh, I like that it... Uh, introduces a kind of interdependence into uh, the zombie apocalypse narrative. I like that it's a very Canadian horror movie. Like, there's something about this movie that is just, what is it about Canadian horror, do you think? Because, like, when I do think Canadian horror is definitely a specific milieu and a, and a specific genre, what exactly is Canadian horror, do we think?
1: I. It's so... I mean, I always just go to Cronenberg. Yeah, me too but it's just such a, but like also like Cronenberg, Black Christmas, it's fucked up and it's shocking because it's not our stereotype of Canadians.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, here's what I, what I think it is. Uh, Canada is kind of like uh, Scandinavia for me in that, like, it makes total sense to me that the black metal church burning uh, Satan murders would happen in the early 90s because, like, look, it's cold, there's nothing to do, it's you sort of hanging out with your greasy metal friends in the basement and eventually you're gonna stab your friend in the neck. Uh, and it makes total sense to me that in that environment that would happen. Where with uh, Canadian horror, I feel like so much of it is like it's cold, it's rugged, everything is kind of spread out. There's a loneliness. There's a kind of uh, almost gallows humor, I think, with Canadian horror. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's it's like it's like a friendly guy in a cabin by himself making a horror movie, and it's like it's got a sense of humor, but also it's a horror movie. So it's anyway. So Dead Sight, um, I. <sighs> This movie is okay, but I feel like in order for me to like a zombie movie made now, it has to do something interesting.
1: So then why is the—I mean, Ryan, he's blind and she's pregnant. Why isn't that interesting <laughs> enough for you?
0: Which, by the way, dead sight. That's not a pun. Oh, oh what yeah. is- Oh, yeah, sure. But like, that's not even dead sight isn't even a... Anyway, um, I, I feel like my problem is it's a cool concept, but it never totally takes advantage of the premise and has them, like, fill in for each other's uh, physical limitations. Like, it, it, it's, it's a cool idea that you've got sort of, um, you know, he's blind in one eye and she can't see out of the other sort of a thing. But they never totally make good on that as a dynamic between them as characters, either character-wise or story-wise, and the movie just kind of goes on with them shooting various zombies until eventually the movie ends. Um, so, is
1: disability exploitation uh, played out at this point?
0: Um, I, I think we also kind of raked Hush across the coals when we did Hush, yeah. right? Like we it, it's did. Yeah, and I, I feel like in order for a movie with disabled, like disabled uh, characters being a central, their disability being a central part of the plot, I think certain things have to be true of the production in particular and of the writing, where like it's not exploitative and you know you maybe actually have a disabled actor in the lead role, um, which is a thing that I think about a lot because I, I feel like in 2019, there's kind of no reason not to have a disabled actor play a disabled character.
1: Yeah, now technically our our protagonist here, Ben isn't like he is newly blinded.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's he's mostly blind. Like he's not blind from birth and he's not 100% blind, but he's sort of uh he's he's got this disease where the camera looks like it's covered in Vaseline basically. Yeah, you know, which yeah. is
1: actually uh a, totally a thing. Um, oh
0: yeah. Yeah. So, uh,
1: you know, I'm torn because on one hand, all of the promotional material for this movie is like, hey, a blind guy in a zombie movie. And I've seen like there's another competing movie that's name escapes me right now that is blind woman and devils. So like it's a thing that's happening in horror right now where you have the character with some disability that makes them significant and and it's all about that but also i'm holding the dvd right now and Mm -hmm. there is no mention on the cover so like the thing that you're in walmart looking at to grab Mm -hmm. your attention is just a zombie and dead sight and the tagline you'll never see them coming
0: i so what you're saying is that there this is a specific genre of horror movie that's basically satanic marco polo yeah where it's like blind character being sort of helped around by somebody else. Like I don't. hide Or or
1: or helped around by themselves. I mean, to be fair, uh, late phases does the same thing, but does it pretty well.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I, I think I'm, I'm I know that there's a way that this can be done well, but I feel like with dead sight, it it I, I like that it was sort of like swinging for the fences on a thing and ultimately missed. But like, there's stuff that I like about it. Um, I think the effects are pretty good. I think the lighting is pretty good. I I think the actors do a really, really good job with the material. Um, yeah, I think... it's got that
1: wonderful white barrenness. Like, even though it's not snowing for a lot of the movie, it's got mm. a very Canadian, desolate north kind of color palette.
0: Yeah, the, it looks like they uh, forgot to replace the projector slide for what the sky was supposed to look like, and so it's just white and blank and yeah like it's yeah so all right so looking at the list i feel like uh as as a as a base for this uh, i think this movie is definitely because it did not upset me in my heart um i think it's better than hellraiser judgment uh up at 346
1: now how does it uh rank against hush at number 306 is it uh, better or worse than that disability exploitation kind of movie? Now,
0: and this is this becomes a bit of a death of the author thing for me because with Hush, I think it's that um, the director and the writer slash lead actor um, they were really combative during the promotion of this movie and like really kind of it was it was an onerous thing where they were just like sort of shutting down uh, disabled uh, activists who were you know kind of pissed that like several parts of this portrayal of a deaf mute woman. Uh, were just flat out fucking incorrect and damaging to the overall discussion around disability, um, and so Hush. I feel like I, if I'm if I'm putting aside everything around the making of the movie Hush, I feel like Hush is probably better. Why? Purely because, well, now here's my problem. Both movies basically have no plot. Where uh, Hush, uh, for those of our listeners who may not have seen Hush is about a deaf-mute woman who lives out in a, a, a sort of big house in the middle of nowhere, and a killer finds her and decides to play a game of cat and mouse with her in the house. Yeah, where local
1: he's... crossbow pervert harasses disabled woman. <laughs> yeah, he's that's a crossbow— that movie. It's... Yeah,
0: yeah, that's the movie. And uh, and basically, he just harasses the shit out of her for the whole movie, and uh, it has basically no plot, because you might be wondering to yourself, wait a minute, why doesn't he just go in and kill her? And it's because, like, well, because we need to fucking fill out an hour and a half of this thing. So exactly. There
1: is, he literally says, I can come in anytime I want. And then once we've hit the hour mark and we're ready for the third act, he goes, okay, now it's time to come in because this movie's almost over.
0: He might as well have yelled, third act, bitches, and, like, leapt through the window. It... It's it's sort of a plot for the sake of plot where there's like, and then a neighbor comes by and they're like, hey, what's going on over here before getting killed? And then somebody else comes by and sees that neighbor being dead. And it's, uh, it's bad. But I also feel like the plot of Dead Sight is just a pair of people wander around the Canadian wilderness shooting zombies until eventually the dude makes a heroic sacrifice to get the lady out with her baby. And that's it. And that's the entire plot of the movie Dead Sight. So between that... I feel like Hush. Now, I am also now the uh, the lead actor in Hush, who was also um, Th- uh, Theodora in uh, the Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. She does a, like she's a pretty she's a pretty good actor. Like I like yeah. her screen presence. She's a pretty good actor. Uh, and there's some pretty good crunching noises in uh, Hush when a guy's fingers get crushed by a door. So that's cool. But yeah, so I'm, I'm putting I'm putting Hush above uh, Deadside for that.
1: Now, right above, right below, hush is the baby
0: and the loved ones. Ooh, so I love the baby. Um, I think the loved ones is probably better than dead sight. Um, now, now, now under. Under the Loved Ones is Deathbed, The Bed That Eats. All right, there we go. I do think Dead Sight is a better movie than Deathbed, colon, The Bed That Eats, down at three. Now, wait a dang minute. Why do you think Dead Sight is better? There is a man who found it fit to make a bed that eats people. That's a good point. Now, actually, and I love Deathbed, colon, The Bed That Eats, because it's a, it's a surrealist horror movie about a bed that eats people. Um, I, but, but I think I want to put Dead Sight above it because there is any kind of a plot in Dead Sight. That's true. Where, I mean, Deathbed, Deathbed is Deathbed is just
1: literally a bed eating for an hour and a half.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's like a science fair project, uh, brought to so normal
1: life. So, above Deathbed is oh. the Empire of Ants.
0: Oh, the Empire of the Ants, I think, is better than Dead Sight, but I do think Dead Sight is better than Deathbed Calling the bed that eats.
1: Okay, so that puts the brand new, out now on DVD and VOD, Dead Sight at number 310. But hey, it's still better than Two-Headed Shark Attack and Sleepaway Camp.
0: It's better than Castle Freak. It's better than the Zodiac Killer. Uh, it's better than Mandy. Um, I mean, everything is better than Mandy. Um, let's, not alienate, let's not alienate every one of our listeners. Uh, the All right, so the next movie uh, we're doing uh, is, I think, a movie that I was really surprised by how good it was because of how— Yeah, I, I did
1: not expect this either. I'm ready to scroll to the top of the list, and if you asked me a week ago, I would not have said that.
0: No, no. So the movie we're doing is uh, the third of George Romero's uh, dead trilogy, Day of the Dead
1: day of the dead the original Um, Uh, so we got the i got in the mail the ultimate edition of george romero's day of the dead which is from umbrella entertainment and it pretty much has every featurette that they've ever recorded slapped onto a blu-ray and a dvd
0: No shit.
1: It's got an audio commentary with Romero and Tom Savini. It's got an audio commentary with Greg Nicotero and Howard Berger and some of the other effects guys. It's got archival behind-the-scene footage that Tom Savini shot on video of him doing screen tests of the, the famous jawless zombie and like Mm -hmm. figuring out, okay, which angle is going to look best to tell that he has half of a jaw and a tongue and like, okay, stand over here and wiggle your tongue. There's also (laughs) a featurette where they interview zombies on the set because apparently, because this was the third one, everyone wanted to be in it. Mm -hmm. Um, you would have to show up at seven in the morning to get in makeup and wait until like five in the evening to be in like 10 seconds of film. And everyone in backstage is like, it's worth it. I totally would recommend it. And you know, it's the best. And there's like, there was a rock and roll band that insisted to be in this movie. There's like people drove to Pittsburgh from Ohio and California and New York. Everyone wanted to be in this movie
0: holy shit and so yeah and and this movie especially this was what 1985 i want to say or not
1: 1985 it was in the
0: 80s yeah wait am i do i have that wrong i want to say it's
1: 1985
0: no it's correct it's 85 okay here let me let me try that one over again so yeah this movie is what 1985 uh same year as reanimator and return of the living dead and really the
1: um the the effects are comparable if you look at bud and you look at the the lab scene all of those those effects are very good
0: oh my god yeah so so let's dig into it we uh holy shit so the movie starts uh, at the sort of uh, late the, the later stages of the zombie apocalypse so Dawn of the Dead was sort of like mass zombie attacks and people sort of hold up in malls and you know the the army maybe being able to do fucking anything is not totally off the table as an option in Dawn of the Dead. But by Day of the Dead, uh, the human race is pretty fucked by this point.
1: Yeah, so this um, band of scientists and soldiers are just trying to find anyone left and also find a cure. And we have literally, they call him Dr. Frankenstein, a scientist that's like, yeah, but we could also do all kinds of cool shit with these zombies. And he gets like ahead of himself and just starts fucking everyone over.
0: Right, and basically, what this guy is, I, uh, so the, the 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 head doctor of this program, uh, it's an uneasy uh, truce between uh, a group of soldiers and a group of scientists, and the idea is uh, that uh, the the military guys are like, all right, listen, li- listen up, you pencil neck geeks, if you stay down here and figure out a cure for being a zombie, we will protect you with our large guns from any zombie attacks in this bunker, and so. It starts out and there's already tension between these two groups because basically the scientists are good people and the soldiers are complete psychopaths.
1: Yeah, it's it's a very interesting take on the military because it's a anyone who's in the military is a fuckwad.
0: Yeah, and it's basically and now a, a thing that I think is amazing about this movie. Uh, if you look at the beard situation in this movie, everybody in every every dude in this movie has a beard except for the main guy whose name is Rhodes uh, and he is just uh he's just a nasty little shit uh, he's just uh he's just a he's just a bad guy
1: he's wearing a fucking bandolier of ammunition that does not go to any of the guns that he carries <laughs>
0: Yeah, he's and he's the only one with a totally shaven face, which which I, I, I love that as a detail because it's sort of, he's the only person in this underground facility that has not accepted that it's game over, pal. Like, he's the only one still clinging to, like, any sense of uh, order and military control and hierarchy, and uh, so he's just a racist, misogynist, abusive, nasty piece of work, uh, and he's surrounded by um, goons, basically, who are afraid of him. Yeah.
1: And the everything goes, you know, ass end up when they realize that the mad scientist has actually been killing the survivors to experiment on them because he's running low on zombie test subjects. And then it's a we got to get the fuck out of here. And it's an escape
0: movie. Oh, wait a minute. I thought, I thought it wasn't that he was killing the survivors. I thought it was that he was feeding the bodies of the survivors to Bub as a, as a, as a reward for when Bub... Oh, so Bub, we should also uh, clarify here. Uh, Bub the zombie, who I would die on a battlefield for. Precious baby zombie Bub. Um, Bub the zombie is a zombie who uh, the doctor has basically conditioned to uh, kind of behave himself like, he responds to rudimentary uh, conversation and commands. He kind of, he clearly kind of remembers his previous life as a military guy because when he sees Rhodes, he um, sort of does an, un- an ungainly uh, salute. Um, he's super into classical music. like, And so it's basically this idea that if we can get Bub to cool his shit and just, like, hang out and be nice... Maybe there's something that we can apply to the other like three billion zombies currently trying to turn us into hamburger.
1: Yeah, but the problem is he still needs to eat meat. And yeah, so so what's revealed is that there is a body in the lab that has been stripped down to just the brainstem. And the other scientist looks and sees that it's actually been the major That the Major, who, when they said was buried, was actually a decoy, and he kept the original to use. Now, my theory, because it's not explicit in the film, Mm -hmm. my theory is because he needed a fresh brain, he actually killed the Major, or orchestrated the Major's death to do that. Which is also why I think that he is saving the... The fact that they find all the soldiers in the freezer also says that, like, oh, they, you know, they didn't make it was just a convenient way to have fresh meat. Because if they had zombified already, then they wouldn't be viable food for the zombies. Because we all know if zombies ate zombies, then we wouldn't have a zombie problem.
0: Right. It would sort itself out pretty quickly. See, that's actually, now that you mention it, it wouldn't surprise me if that were part of it, because, like... Yeah, needing to acquire a fresh brain, it's hard to come by.
1: Yeah, and maybe, like, the major head, a cold. (laughs) He's like, well, I'll help you, and then just, like, kills the shit out of him.
0: Yeah, now, and so Bub, uh, as soon as Rhodes sees that uh, the doctor has been feeding uh, dead bodies to Bub as a reward for good behavior, uh, he just shoots the flying dog shit out of this doctor, Um. And it's, in, uh, excuse me, uh, Johnson, I think his name is, played by Greg Nicotero. Um, and yeah, he just gets uh, shot a lot by a machine gun. And then later on, when they're like doing a sort of we got to get the fuck out of here thing, uh, Bub the zombie, who had grown very close to the doctor, uh, starts like sobbing. And it's really moving. Like Bub the zombie being upset that his buddy died.
1: And then, of course, with hubris everything goes sour and it's a race to get to the helicopter before everybody gets eaten.
0: Right. And we get this great fucking scene where, so Rhodes, who's obviously a cruel piece of shit that you desperately want to get his comeuppance. Uh, he uh, is trying to make a break for it himself and Bub picks up a gun and chases Rhodes with a gun. So, which by the way, the cover of day of the dead, um, prominently features Bub the zombie leveling a gun at someone which I just fucking love as a sort of alright how do we instantly communicate how hog wild this fucking movie is and it's just zombie with a gun
1: yeah and then he does the like sarcastic salute which is like such a fuck you as Rose is being eaten by all kinds of zombies
0: oh, it's great because like Rhodes he like is trying to escape from the zombies he opens a door and there's just a shitload of zombies breaking their way through And he turns around to try to run away and Bub just plugs him one through the chest and Rhodes gets dragged backward. And yeah, looking back and Bub just gives him a sarcastic little military salute. And then you get Rhodes' last line, which is him screaming choke on it over and over again while the the zombies just like rip him to pieces. Yeah, Um, it's very good. (laughs) I really like this movie. And then it so uh, the way that it ends is that Sarah, um, who is one of the main scientists and uh, John, who's another scientist and... They basically, um, it's, there's like a flash forward to them being on a desert island together. And there's like, one of them is fishing in the surf. They've clearly set up like a kind of rudimentary, like they're, they're making some kind of a living on this deserted island during the zombie, the twilight of the zombie apocalypse. And then I love this moment. She looks down, pulls out Mm -hmm. a calendar from a bag and marks off another day. And that is where Day of the Dead ends. And I love that as an ending because of the idea that, like, um, for me, it kind of goes back to the beard thing of, like, what do we cling to when every, like, vestige of our culture and our way of life gets put through a wood chipper? Like, you know, Rhodes has an unhealthy obsession with trying to get back to how it was before the zombies happened, which is why he fucking shaves. Uh, and Sarah, like just marking down what day it is, because like, you, you might wonder like, well, you know, what does it matter what day is, what day it is? And it's like, well, it matters to the survivors because it's something that they can hold on to.
1: Yeah. So which is the best film in the original Romero trilogy?
0: Oh man. So wait, have we, we haven't done Dawn of the Dead yet, have we? We haven't
1: done Dawn, but Night of the Living Dead is number seven.
0: God damn that. You know what? I don't all right now here's all right, now we've we've sort of uh tongued this movie's butthole a little bit. let's th- th- I've got a couple of problems with Day of the Dead, which is a movie I like a lot. Um, I think for me, the biggest uh flaw of Day of the Dead as a movie is that it is not so much a plot developing so much as people standing around yelling about the plot.
1: It is a lot of people just yelling at each other, and then reacting at, in the last, like, ten minutes.
0: Yeah, which, I mean, it is it is a bunch of people in, like, a big underground bunker together, so, like, it makes sense to me that there's not a whole lot of forward motion in this movie.
1: Yeah, but, but the problem is Dawn of the Dead took place in a fucking mall, and there's, like, a gajillion miles more character development in that film.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. Like, Dawn of the Dead is... It, it accomplishes for me, like, I feel like... Um, so, Dawn of the Dead, which we haven't done on this list, I think Dawn of the Dead is better than Day of the Dead purely because it satisfied me on a few more levels than Day of the Dead. I think Day of the Dead, the now, the effects are incredible, the acting is incredible, but in terms of plot, it's a very shouty movie, which is, yeah. I think the problem I had with it was that, like, at a certain point I just had to turn the volume down because it was like, I, I don't want any more yelling. Like, I'm fine with zombies, I'm fine with Viscera, just please everybody stop yelling, which... I think it's probably also intentional because like, this is solidly, what, toward the end of the Cold War? I think this is also, I mean, because it's George Romero, it's deeply political, and I think it's him sort of doing a land of confusion thing where it's like, you know, nobody is steering this thing, and all of these power structures that we depend on, like the military and science, were ultimately kind of fucked. And, they, we, you know, we can try to make our situation better, and we can try to move forward, but ultimately, these systems are not going to save us
1: oh yeah oh i forgot to mention the best feature on this blu-ray is there is an actual corporate infomercial for that underground facility because Yo! it is a real storage facility and oh there's like God. a 10 minute this is why you should rent space in this warehouse
0: <laughs> that's fucking incredible so this is still open as a as a storage space
1: i mean it was in 2000 when that video was shot i don't know about today. <laughs>
0: You got that bespoke but it day of the exists, numbers. At least by that, holy shit! I, now, and, and this is my uh, my it's other problem. The Gateway with- Commerce Center.
1: If you want to Google somebody, Google Gateway Com- Commerce Center. I, I want to tour it just as like I want to go and pretend that I'm going for like a real business purpose, but actually just be there as like a tourism i want to see where this film was shot
0: absolutely and i think i feel like after i was so high on this movie after watching it that like immediately i was like googling all these like shooting locations um i think uh, now my other problem with the movie is that it it's a bit of a slog in places because when it's not people sort of talking about the plot it's people sort of pontificating about things and it's like it's fine i like that um I like that it's doing something different from Dawn of the Dead, and it's trying to, like, kind of take it back to a more character-based thing. And the other thing that I like about it is that it conforms to my politics personally.
1: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It does definitely have a political leaning. And now, although I have difficulty... Think putting myself into other people's perspectives i do mm-hmm. understand that there is a very conservative streak in horror fandom mm-hmm. um i mean michael graves is very politically conservative yeah he is <laughs> former yeah. lead singer of the misfits <laughs> it's like the most conservative musician i know
0: his his twitter is a horror show don't go there
1: no pun intended hey so speaking of horror shows um we have Night of the Living Dead real high. The next Romero movie we have on the list is Creepshow at number 34.
0: Oh, man. Okay, so another another uh, Romero property. I Ooh, fuck. I'm going to say
1: Creepshow is better.
0: Yeah, I want to say Creepshow is better, but I think... Like, I want to give Day of the Dead points for the fact that Romero was going hell for breakfast. We've got a zombie with a gun. We've got like guts getting ripped out willy nilly we've got like there, there's so much that goes on in day of the dead that i love and also uh, i love the part where george romero specifically comes on screen turns to the camera and says i'm exactly the kind of anarcho-socialist as ryan boyd and it's <laughs> you know I, I, at the at the climax of the film and i just i appreciated that so much um but i feel like Creepshow show is above it because it has a clarity of purpose um that I feel like Day of the Dead kinda doesn't have, where like, Day of the Dead, it is so important that this movie has something to say, in all caps, and Creepshow is just, hey guys, remember EC Comics, here's that. Yeah, but also Creepshow has good acting in it. Yeah, yeah, and it's got Leslie Nielsen, so you know what, I'm like, Creepshow, it's it's going, remember EC Comics, here's that, but also here's the most perfect, satisfying iteration of a thing that you love as done by Stephen King and George Romero, and it is Actually, wonderful. if we bring acting into it, we have to scroll way
1: far down. <laughs>
0: yeah, this listen, there's no acting quite like overacting.
1: Uh, okay, so George Romero's The Crazies is at number 47. Is it safe to say that Day of the Dead is better than The Crazies?
0: Yeah, I think it's better than The Crazies. I like The Crazies a lot, but I feel like Day of the Dead, it accomplishes basically the same thing a little better.
1: Yeah, because the crazies is all the government has failed us and won't protect us in a time of crisis. Right. And Day of the Dead is perfectly the government has failed us <laughs> and won't protect us in a time of crisis.
0: Yeah, not only has the government failed us, it will continue to fail us after that structure has failed. Yeah. Um. Yeah, now I will say I do not think that this is better than the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2.
1: Yeah, I think that... This actually should go right above the crazies then at our new number um, 47.
0: Yeah, I feel really good about that. And also, side note here, we haven't done it for the podcast yet. Have you seen Land of the Dead by George Romero?
1: Yeah, I'm not crazy about it. Now, in the uh, the featurette that's included in this new Umbrella Entertainment Mm Blu-ray, they talk about how the original script was going to be very much like this movie uh-huh. like land of the dead and they kind of trimmed it down. So in some ways, you know, he, he definitely is, is working on a theme that he's, yeah. he's kind of perfected. But in other ways, I think that this movie hit that same theme probably better than land of the dead. Did. Although yeah. I will still thinking about that zombie eating that um, girl with the, the belly button uh, ring. Belly button ring.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was honestly, I'm, kind of writer or die for Land of the Dead purely because of, like, George Romero just sort of going, like, you know what? I've seen other directors who do political commentary through subtext, and they're fucking cowards. <laughs> like, that movie just could not be more class warfare the motion picture with, like, zombies representing the unwashed masses and, like, a bunch of shitty rich people led by Dennis Hopper, who is a shit bastard. And you've got John Leguizamo in the mix. I honestly... um I I know that it is not a good movie and definitely not a subtle movie, and thank God for that. Sometimes I just wanna put on a movie that is just straight, uh, obvious class warfare with all the subtlety of a brick to the face.
1: Okay. So do we have time for some listener requests?
0: Yeah, I reckon we do. Which uh which one uh let's see. So
1: Charleston Mambo wants us to do Strigoy. I have not seen that movie.
0: I also have not seen Strigoy.
1: Sorry, Charles. Charleston, uh,
0: send us another. Now, Tim Pasco wants us to do Bone Tomahawk. Have you seen that? I haven't seen Bone Tomahawk. However, Tim uh, also requested from Dusk Till Dawn. Have you seen From Dusk Till Dawn?
1: Uh, hell yeah, I've seen Six yeah, Gun seen from and From Dusk Till Dawn.
0: Hell yes, you've seen Cheech Marin with a dick that's a gun. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. Wait, was that was that Tom Savini or? Uh... I believe it's Tom Savini. Cheech
1: Marin is one of the other. Uh, that's right because rodriguez can't make a movie without cheech marin
0: no no and and it's it's and we're all we're all just thankful he's here um i now from dusk till dawn i kind of hate this movie i'm not even gonna lie but i also love it because it's george clooney and it's vampires and cheech marin and fucking what's the name of the, the the club that they go to
1: I, I don't even know.
0: Just Something a fucking crazy gross. vampire
1: club that's on top of a uh, um, ancient <laughs> Aztec ruin. Yeah, you know, yeah so, that's the name
0: of the place. So, it's not a good
1: movie, but it is a fun movie.
0: Yeah, I would say, uh, from dusk till dawn, I think, what, Quentin Tarantino is also in the mix as, like, a gross pervert.
1: Yeah, um, you know, Quentin, Tar- <laughs> Quentin
0: Tarantino's in the film as himself. Yeah, Nothing yeah. he didn't even know he was in a movie.
1: blockbuster on a Friday in, ni- in 1998
0: like uh, From Dusk Till Dawn. Absolutely right. Now, I think the thing that I, I, I kind of hate this movie, but I also kind of love it because it's like they were making this... It's like they were improv this movie with no shooting script, and they couldn't decide what kind of movie it was until the middle of the second act, where they were like... So it's these two brothers, and they do crimes, and one of them's a pervert, and then they are uh, on the lam with money, and then they go to a club, and the club is... And here, like, Robert Rodriguez looks out and goes like, fucking someone throw me a bone here, I'm dying. And someone's like, it's vampires? And no one would tell him no. And it was like, uh, fucking, all right, well, it's a vampire movie now, and now... The action sequences are fucking great.
1: Oh, they're amazing. And also, so. Quentin Tarantino duct tapes his hand, which has a hole all the way through it.
0: Yeah, and it's... Now, Quentin Tarantino... Is Quentin Tarantino a good actor? No. No, I would say no. Uh, he Is he a good person? Also no. But does he try his hardest? Also no. Um, he's, kind of, he's kind of delightful in this... And maybe it's just because you've got George Clooney as a foil. Uh, yeah, this movie is like, it, it's honestly straight to video schlock that happens to be directed by like a B plus director. All right. So where do you want to throw it on our list? Well, now let's let's look here from Dust Till Dawn uh, is which is better from Dust Till Dawn or the Roseanne Halloween specials? <laughs>
1: Uh, I'm going to tell you, it's always going to be the Roseanne Halloween
0: special. <laughs> Absolutely. That's just always going to take precedence. Uh, I, okay, let's see. Below that, which would you rather watch? And I already know the answer before I'm going to say it. Funny Games at number 70, or From Dust Till Dawn, the movie with the titties and the vampires.
1: You know, I'm going to have to say I, I'm shocked because I was scrolling way farther down I'm mm-hmm. going to say From Dusk Till Dawn. Absolutely no, well, right. No, hold on a minute. That's above Reanimator. No. Oh, I, no. I say no. This movie is not as good as Return of the Living Dead 3. So scroll way down.
0: <laughs> so Return of the Living Dead is at number 215. Uh, from dust Now right below Return of the Living Dead 3, which we think From Dusk Till Dawn is better than. Yes.
1: Um I'm not willing to say that quite yet.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. Now, why do you think Return of the Living Dead 3, the movie with the goth GF that has fucking gravel in her face, uh, what do you think the case is for that being better than From Dust Till Dawn?
1: It, it has a clarity of purpose that From Dusk Till Dawn doesn't, but <laughs> frankly, I cannot in good conscience tell anyone you should watch Return of the Living Dead 3 over From Dust Till Dawn. So I think yeah. it goes above.
0: yeah that's you know what it is it's that return of the living dead 3 is like completely predictable school cafeteria pizza where from dusk till dawn is like a novelty corn dog that's flavored like something a corn dog shouldn't taste like (laughs) where it's like I objectively this one thing is probably better but I just can't bring myself to say that the corn dog is worse than the 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 awful cafeteria pizza Um, all right so here's here's my question uh, is From Dust till Dawn better or worse than Ghoulies, the movie about the monsters that pop out of the toilet?
1: Oh man. Ghoulies has that cat ghoulie. It does have the cat ghoulie. Um <laughs> Ghost of Mars is probably better than <laughs> Dust Till Dawn.
0: Yeah, Ghost of Mars is definitely better than uh From Dust till Dawn. However, I can't even believe this is where I'm drawing the line. I think House of Wax by uh, the, the 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 remake, the two thousand five one, I think House of Wax two thousand five is better than From Dusk Till Dawn.
1: I think Curtains nineteen eighty three is better from Dusk Till Dawn.
0: Oh, definitely. Now I do think From Dusk Till Dawn is better than Straight Edge Kegger.
1: Yeah. Because that is again just what if punks were mean?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. What if what if punks killed people? Which is also Return of the Living Dead three, but slightly better. All right,
1: so our new number two fourteen is from Dusk Till Dawn. Directed Thanks, by Robert Tim.
0: Rodriguez. Yep, thank you for that. Um, we oh god, should we do yoga hosers at some point for this podcast?
1: I mean, our mission statement is that we will
0: review all horror movies are made every goddamn one. So this, you know what? Let's just leave that until we're like 83 and we've lived, you know, we've lived a lot of life and we've, you know, sort of lived to the fullest and now we're ready for death and we can watch latter-day Kevin Smith movies. <laughs> oh you boy. know, just to ease us into the into the grave. Uh, Quincy, where can our listeners find us on the internet?
1: We are on a bevy of social media sites. We're on Twitter at Rankin We're on Gmail at Rankin We are on Tumblr at Rankin We're on Instagram at Rankin We're <laughs> on YouTube at Rankin Um We are on almost every major podcast app. If you know an app that the kids are using that we're not on, uh, drop us a line at our Gmail and we will try to fix that for you. Uh, Ryan, why don't you tell our listeners about our Patreon?
0: Holy shit. So uh, as you probably uh, guessed from uh, Tuesday's episode, which was about the legend of Billie Jean, Fair is fair. Um, We uh, are going to finally, uh, and it's about long enough, I say, going to be setting up a Patreon to give you guys some really, really cool stuff that, uh, you know, behind a very small paywall, not even a paywall, like a pay curb, um, we are going to do content where we talk about deathmatch wrestling and uh, non horror movies and tabletop games. We're going to, like, run a bunch of tabletop games. Uh, we're gonna put interviews up on it. We're gonna um, put basically everything that's not the show proper, um, because we keep wanting um, some kind of an outlet for what we do that's not necessarily just the talking about and ranking of horror movies. Because we've got our uh, we've got a lot of interests, and so uh, pretty uh, I think by next week, by the time this episode drops, uh, we are going to have our Patreon up, and uh, we're gonna have all the tiers spelled out. Uh, and yeah, so it's it's gonna be really good and exciting, and I'm really looking forward to getting it up.
1: And I also want to. We have every uh, Google Doc of our show notes for every episode, almost every episode. So I also want to do something with those. So I'm sure, for like very little to no money, you can at least look at my in a typing. Uh, <laughs> exactly. While
0: yeah. So our our show notes, which are usually just us screaming in all caps about things, but uh, barring that, that is about all I got. You got anything else?
1: That's it. Stay spooky, y'all.
0: Later, folks.